there was a gap in the market for a while. Um, I found my my favorite coffee, which was Spring Valley Coffee, and ended up buying it five years ago. So you bought your favorite coffee shop? Yeah. Well. I mean, talk about getting high on your own supply, right? <laughs> Hello, Yes People. Welcome to another episode of The Yes Girls, where we, Claire... And Akumu say yes to doing, being, or learning something new and documenting our journeys. We invite accomplished experts to educate us, and then we take on the challenge to edutain you, our wonderful listeners. And then we come back to our experts, and they tell us about their journey of saying yes. And then they rate our efforts. My name is Claire, and Akumu, do you fancy a coffee? Claire, we've started recording. You can't just start talking about coffee. Oh, can't I? Uh, no, you can't. <laughs> because we have clearly advertised this as a podcast episode worthy of people listening to for a good half half hour, a little more. Um, you know, so they're committing to work. They're lounging around the sofa on a Sunday or Saturday. And they're pretending to work, maybe. So they should be the ones drinking coffee, not us. Well, right, you are. We should be having coffee. They should be having coffee. We we all should be having coffee. And so I suggest we make this whole episode about the art of coffee making. What say you? Mm, I'm on board. Let's do it. Possibly because coffee is one of the single most popular beverages, apart from water, of course, across the globe. And it has huge cultural significance and even health benefits and downsides. <laughs> um, and do you know it also has huge conspiracy theories as well? They say they say we don't grow coffee. Coffee grows us. That's something that has been said in one of the books. Anyway, so it's it's also something that's totally hip um, to be able to talk about coffee, you know, because you can become a coffee snob. Yes. And you see, we are here. We are, we are all about equipping people with useful and desirable, desirable skills and information. Claire, actually, I think I can get that coffee you were talking about, that cup. For sure, because today I am saying yes to learning barista skills. So one coffee coming up for everyone. As we said, we're expanding the expertness of season five by having multiple experts in these episodes. And we are not the experts. We are the guinea pigs who inspire you to say yes. So let's see who are the stars of today's episode. For this episode, we had two experts. First, I got my masterclass with Martin the Barista, a.k.a. Martin Macau from Masai Coffee. My name is Martin Macau. I am a barista, coffee roaster, and a barista trainer. In my line of work, I can say I am privileged that I get to interact with several key players in our coffee production chain, that is the baristas, the coffee roasters, and most importantly, our coffee farmers who work tirelessly to produce the aromatic coffees which are enjoyed in our local markets and uh, also find their way into the international markets. Masai Coffee is a brand of Gold Rock International. They're a Kenyan-based coffee company that also has forayed into the world of tea and leather artisanal goods. But coffee is their lifeblood. You can find them in duty-free shops and cafes across East Africa's airports, and they export tons, literally, of coffee every year, sourced from Kenyan coffee farmers and even their own farms in the Rift Valley and the foothills of Mount Kilimanjaro. Martin is a trained barista and himself a barista trainer, and there's probably very little he doesn't know about coffee. 
You can visit their roastery in Babadogo in Nairobi for a tour or to pick up some coffee for yourself. Uh, but more about that later. In studio with us, we have our second expert, and that's Ritesh Doshi. I hope I said it right. You did. <laughs> so Ritesh is the owner of Spring Valley Coffee, which is fast becoming a household name in Kenya for its expertly sourced, roasted and packaged coffee beans and ground coffee, and also for its coffee shops dotted around Nairobi. Ritesh, why Spring Valley and why coffee? Good question. Um, I am passionate about coffee. It's as simple as that. Um, if you'd asked me five and a bit years ago, I was an avid amateur, uh, absolutely loved coffee, would literally walk for miles through London or New York or Berlin looking for the best coffee in some of those cities um, and felt that there was a gap in the market for a while. Um, I found my my favorite coffee, which was Spring Valley Coffee, and ended up buying it five years ago. So you bought your favorite coffee shop? Yeah. Wow. I mean, talk about getting higher on your own supply, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. That is that is an incredible story of, of I've like getting your own business. Yeah. Yeah. Very few people actually buy something that they use every day and really love. Like yeah. I haven't had that story That's before. That's true passion. Okay, okay, so it was an existing coffee shop, you bought it and then Yeah, so Spring Valley's been around since 2009. Um, started mm -hmm. in the Spring Valley Shopping Center on Laura Cabetti Road, hence, hence the name. Nothing too complicated there. Um, <laughs> and you know, if you go back to historical kind of you know pre-independence times, if you even drive you know five kilometers up the road, there are still coffee bushes on the side of uh, of the road, you know, going down Laura Cabetti, going up towards towards um, Loresho. And so historically, it is coffee growing areas. Um, and the business started there. And it was literally a neighborhood coffee shop, you know, not, not much bigger than the studio, a little cafe at the front, a little roastery at the back. Um, and I would spend a lot of my time there drinking coffee with my puppy at the time. Um, and I loved it because it was the best coffee in town and I could take my dogs. And that was quite simple. And I asked the guys who owned it, I'm like, hey, why do I love your coffee so much? And they said, well, it's simple. We keep the best stuff here. Everybody exports it. <laughs> and that like light bulb wow. went off and I'm like, this is awesome. It's amazing because can so everyone else just they'd make more money by exporting it, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I'm I'm selfish. I want to have a great cup of coffee every day. <laughs> I, I I am, and I'd love to share that with my friends, with people that I love, and like, well, why not share that gift of incredible Kenyan coffee in Kenya? I mean, and a few things happened. Like, it, it wasn't that romanticized, you know. I I I knew the business. I knew it well. I was in New York. Um, read an article, there was a great Kenyan coffee at a coffee shop being sold in Brooklyn for, you know, it was like literally, it was an eight ounce bag of coffee. It was $22.50 Kenyan coffee prices because it happens at Auction Republic. I checked how much the farmer made on that. And it was less than 10% of the value of that uh, of that product. And I'm like, mm -hmm. hang on, why are we not adding value in Kenya more? I mean, there are people that do it, yeah. but at that specialty standard. And people said to me, well, you can't really roast to a specialty standard in country of origin. I disagreed because there there were a couple of people here doing it, Spring mm. Valley being one of them. Mm. Um, of course, we can roast an international standard in a country of origin, and we absolutely can. Can you have such talented people? Yeah. Um, so literally came back through kind of various things that were happening at the personal level, ended up buying that business um, literally almost exactly five years ago to yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. So thanks, Ritesh. So we want to hear a lot more about what you think makes the barista ring art form. 
Can I say that? But it's yeah, what's the out verb from... of barista? Baristaing? Yeah. Because it's a noun. Baristaing. Can you make it a verb? You you can make it a verb, I think, like most things. Um, but but <laughs> I, should we? <laughs> should you? I, depends who you're asking. Um, I think if, if we can take a step back for a moment, you spent some time in a roastery. I think there are three major touch points to coffee. Mm-hmm. One is at the producer, or we commonly call the farmer level. And how the farmer produces that coffee, what their inputs look like, when they harvest that coffee. Um, Then the post-harvest process, how they mill it, what's the quality of the milling equipment, how they dry it, do they pick it at the right time? Does it dry appropriately? That's the first touch point. Mm. And if that's done well, you have a great product to start with. Mm. And if you damage coffee at that level, it's still usable, it's absolutely usable, but you may lose some of its positive attributes. And then that goes through a milling process. And then after the milling process, it goes to a roaster. And when it comes to a roaster like us, we can take an incredible coffee and keep it incredible. We can take an incredible coffee and destroy it, or we can take a mediocre coffee and and make magic. So that's the second touch point. And the Mm. third point, which most people interact with, is a barista. The barista is the third point. That's the extraction of the coffee. And what we find is most people are either farmers, which rightfully so, that's a big part of our economy. You have people that roast and sell coffee, and you have people that run cafes. Not too many are, are integrated all the way through. Now, we're, on, we're not in the farming business, mm. but we have a lot of direct relationships with our farmers so we understand their harvesting processes, their post-harvesting processes. So we can really pick the best and the highest quality farmers to work with. Wow. So we're focused on the quality of that coffee from the time it gets picked off the tree as a cherry wow. and you experience it in the cup sitting in front of you. Mm. Okay, so we can't even call it barista in this. I mean, it's, it's a big part of it. Process. It's, it's a third part. I, I know that's yeah. what you want to talk about, but that is a big part of it. That, that is a big part of it. And it's that yeah. third touch point that is exciting. It's what we all see. It's that buzz you have in a cafe where yeah. you hear the steam coming out of the coffee machine. You hear the grinder kind of burring. And, that, and, and that's that nice kind of buzz that we all get when we walk into a coffee shop. And it's exciting, especially in a fast, urbanizing, exciting city like Nairobi. Mm. Mm -hmm. I agree but actually when I yeah when I spent some time with with the coffee um it turned out that that, those first two steps we focused on them a lot because if you get those steps wrong you can do all the fancy stuff you want with your frothers Mm. and templates and fancy mixes and it's not going to be a good coffee Mm -hmm. Uh, but we'll definitely get more into that okay so Claire your mission was to learn some of those barista skills but it's interesting you even learned the other touch points And we want to hear what you brewed up. And uh, is this, like, is this, was this your dream of becoming a professional barista grounded in reality? Grounded. Or... You missed an opportunity <laughs> grounded there. Grounded in reality. Or should you just stick to your magic beans? Before we get into the episode, just one quick thing. This is season five, and so far we've gotten some amazing feedback from you all about previous episodes and seasons. Let me read out one of them. So this is from Lift with Honey. Uh, She said, loved, loved, loved it. These are the convos I love hearing. I resonated with it so much. You are a gem. So thank you, Lift with Honey. Be sure to leave us any reviews you like on whatever podcast platform you're listening on or on social media. Now back to this episode. Okay, so to kick us off, Ritesh, can you just define for us what we should understand about barista skills, apart from the fact that it's a third touch point? um, Why should anyone care about it or want to learn it as a skill? 
so first, I, I take it away from being a skill. I think it's a craft. I think I, wow. I, I think yes. today, you know, a lot of we learn a lot of technical skills, operational skills, tactical skills in our jobs. Being a barista is a craft, and to me, that's the balance of a skill, but actually some art. And I think the skill the, the skill has to come first. A lot of baristas and a lot of baristas, I'll be honest, like around the world, even in Kenya, you're so focused on the latte art. Does it look amazing? Does it look amazing? Before we get to the latte art, how does your coffee taste? Mm. And that's the starting point. And that's where the craft comes in. That's where the skill comes in, where how are you extracting your coffee? How are, are you checking the quality of the beans? Are you grinding it correctly? Is it the correct amount of coffee that's ground? Is it running through the machine at the right temperature for the right amount of time? It can actually be quite scientific. I mean, we, in our cafes, we weigh that out. So when you have a, what we call a, a basket, I think you, you, when you use a porta filter, before with that machine, when you're getting your ground coffee into there, you're grinding the coffee on demand so that it's fresh. You're grinding the right amount of weight. That may be anywhere between 17 and 20 grams, depending on the machine, depending on what you're trying to achieve. There's a lot of variables. Humidity affects coffee. Rain affects coffee. Um, temperature affects coffee. Mm. So those are variables you're adjusting on the grinder. Those are variables that you're adjusting to get the right. So actually coffee, forget the brister skills. It starts with, actually with grinding first. And you've got to get that right. And when you get the right beans through the grinder, the ground properly, and you put them in the machine, that's where the art starts. Uh, well, that's where the coffee starts, where you've got your coffee, coffee coming out. What's the volume of that coffee? So it's all scientific up to that point. And then you're frothing your milk. And as you froth your milk, it's the right temperature. Um, in Kenyans, all of us Kenyans love everything extra hot. I know my mother, hey, that coffee is too cold. We, we literally had to write on our menus, oh my God. our coffee is served at the ideal temperature for both coffee and milk. If you like it extra hot, please ask. And of course, all the Kenyans are like, I want it extra hot, <laughs> including my mom. Um, but Kenyans are obsessed. But, but it's got to be the right temperatures. And then is when the art comes into it is how are you making it? How are you mixing that? You know, so we have baristas that will swirl the coffee and swirl the espresso to really get some of the positive attributes of that out. So it blends well with the milk. Some of them might use something to stir it with, a tool. Some of them do it by hand. People pour close to the cup. People pour super high and they make kind of, you know, they have a lot of fun with it. We have baristas that will pour two coffees at the same time and they're incredible. Um, so that's where the art part comes in. And it's funny, I, I'm always mesmerized because we always say latte art is secondary. The coffee has to taste amazing first. because it, it could look amazing, but if it doesn't taste great, you're, someone's going to return it and they're not going to enjoy it. Mm. But I, I look forward to every morning for my cup of coffee. My baristas get super creative. So I've seen everything from, yes, we all get our tulips and our hearts and things. But now that it's like somebody made one of my dog the other day. Literally, one of my baristas did latte art and it actually looked like my dog. And I'm like, wow. that's pretty good. Someone did a landscape of Masai Mara. I'm like, that's pretty good. So people start getting pretty creative. They get innovative. Um, and that's where some of the art comes into it. And hence the word latte art, um, because you can be artistic. And that's that's a skill. But that's where your creative genius can completely come out. Okay. And where do you stand in the creativity of all that? Where do I the stand pouring, in? The, the creativity of the barista. So, you know, my, so, well, my view is coffee is for us the beverage to be consumed. It, it's nice to look at, mm -hmm. but you're going to consume it. We are pretty adamant that flavor is, is paramount. Flavor, it has to taste incredible. Um, you know, we're fanatical about the coffee that we source. We're passionate about how we roast it. We roast every batch by hand, despite how much we've grown. Every coffee is made to order. So you want that coffee to be incredible. When you take a sip, it's got to be incredible. 
So until you get that right, the art part comes second. And today, aspiring baristas, and I get it, and young people, especially, and, and we'll come back to like what the values of the of the trade are because people do get to go abroad. You get to experience amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the art part of it comes second. The coffee has to taste incredible. And then I think the art is, we give complete artistic liberty. Do what you want. Once the coffee is good. But the coffee has to be incredible. Perfect. So this is a perfect segue. So Claire, how did you kick off the learning process, knowing all this? Okay. <laughs> well, to start with, I didn't know all of this when I started, right? Um, I mean, I firmly believed that 20 years of coffee drinking experience was 90% of the learning I needed. I was wrong. Turns out all that taught me was that I'm really good at alienating most of the population with my coffee snobbishness and turning my nose up at Nescafe. Sorry to name drop there, but we all know it. And that I apparently drink my coffee stronger than even the Kenyan coffee experts. Like, yeah, Martin and his colleague were shocked how strong I drink it. Um, And so I didn't approach this challenge by getting a milk frother. Let's just start there. No. So I did some research, of course. Uh, and I very conscientiously drank my coffee for the week before, like really thinking, okay, hmm, what am I tasting here? How would I like this to be? And, you know, anytime I buy a coffee, thinking about it critically. So basically I just drank a lot of coffee for the week before. And then, um, so with Martin, um, when I went to visit um, Masai Coffee in, in Babadogo, we took the pure and scientific approach. So kind of the first, maybe that middle step that you were talking about, Ritesh. So we looked at the exact brewing time and measurements needed for the ideal cup of coffee um, as defined by the SCA, so that's the Speciality Coffee Association. Um, so apparently the golden rule is 55 grams per liter, but I learned that that's, that's like, it depends on your taste, right? So that's kind of, even if you're brewing less, you kind of can prorate it. Turns out I like mine a lot stronger than that. So the golden rule to me does not apply. <laughs> um, you should brew for a maximum of three minutes if you're doing pour over coffee. I didn't I didn't know that. But all those things about the time it takes, like like Richard, you're saying, the time it takes, the the way you grind, the way you roast, the 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 roasting process, you can take a good bean and turn it into something terrible. So that I really was exposed to. So all that you're saying now, Ritesh, really resonates with me, but wouldn't necessarily have done so before. And I think you can come in at any step of that, either the farming stage or the bean selection stage. Like I learned how many varieties there are. And then, um, you know, the actual barista, that final barista stage, each of those you can dive in and there's a whole, either a craft or a science behind it. Um, so it was it was a little overwhelming to begin with, I've got to admit, and I really only scratched the surface, but mm-hmm. I think that key part, which is actually the, the step that comes before the real baristaing, is really what I, what we focused on during that time. And I think because it's so crucial mm-hmm. um, before the, you know, the fancy drawings or, you know, drawings of dogs or people or or body parts. I don't know. Um, So, yeah. And also what I saw most importantly of all is that all the rules get thrown out of the window when it comes to personal taste, right? And I also realized that a lot of my most memorable coffee experiences weren't necessarily good coffee, you know, so there's being a snob and there's also just saying it's an experience and it's whatever it means to you. Uh, so someone might go to Spring Valley and say, this isn't the type of coffee I like. That's okay, right? Or they might drink something horrible, which has had every single bad process done to it, but that's what they like. 
I'm one of those people who um, I, I don't choose at all. Like, I'm so happy even with instant coffee. That's the thing. That's why, that's why Claire did this challenge. Because Is that like I wouldn't stage do it. left for me? Like, <laughs> like we got right. some good coffee. And I was just like, oh, this is how good coffee tastes. Like, you're spoiling. <laughs> My taste was bare minimum. Yeah. So what do you think about what Claire is saying? Like, um, she, she learned a bit before barista so what else do you think is important for anyone who wants to start? Well, to just pick up on what you said, mm-hmm. I, I, I first think that like coffee, coffee can become snobby. It is becoming a bit snobby like wine. Mm. My personal view, even though we run the oldest specialty coffee roaster in the country, is the best way to have a coffee. The number one question I get, what's the best way to have a coffee? What's the best coffee? The best way to have a coffee is the way you like it. My mom wants a cappuccino with two sugars. That's fine. <laughs> you like it strong. That's fine. I like it at a certain temperature. That you like Nescafe. God forbid. Yeah, I'm fine with anything. God, God forbid. That's okay. That's okay. We can it's, we can change that. We'll work on that, Claire. But um, but 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 we, the the best way to have a coffee is the way that you enjoy it, and and that's the baseline. Um, to answer your question about barista skills, I think you know we're so fortunate. We have about forty baristas that work for us. Mm. Um, you know, when I bought the business, you know, five years ago, we had seven employees in total, only three were baristas. And many of our baristas are award-winning baristas. They've won competitions. They've placed wow. in competitions. Some of them have been trainers, teachers. Two of them just came back from South Africa. Um, so really at the cutting edge of what's what's going on at the barista level. And I think it's a fascinating profession. I think if I had had different opportunities when I was younger, had a bit more of a wider worldview, it's an incredible thing to do because one is it's very so you you learn technical skills, you learn to interact with people, you learn to multitask. You're literally making a coffee and interacting with somebody and telling them about the coffee, or you're literally learning how to do mental arithmetic as you as you're working a till. But what you also really learn is you learn those skills, but it opens up this incredible world where you might just be a barista. And we have people that start as baristas, as little baristas. We have people that have grown that some that have gone abroad and done incredible things abroad, some that have grown from being a barista to becoming trainers, some that have moved on to the roasting side, some of that, them have become educators for the SCA. Um, some of them have moved out of the front office and they're doing things in, in, in marketing, they're doing things in kind of customer experience. So it's a gateway into many things with, with an incredible number of transferable skills. But it's easy when you're passionate about coffee. Um, and I would say that's the baseline. If you're passionate about coffee, there's so much that you can do. And and that's exactly why she had to do. <laughs> Claire was the one <laughs> to do this because she's her passion for coffee is, you know, ridiculous. So she she did this challenge justice. So <laughs> let's tackle the bean barista, the beans. Um, Claire, what did you learn about that? Tell us a bit about how many different types of beans you learned. I don't. I I remember there were numbers and there were names. I don't remember any of them. You, you'll you'll have to tell us some of them later. But it is a science. That's what I gathered. It really, I mean, that is a, a you know, ag- agronomy is a science, right? The first coffee beans that were brought, the first coffee tree that was brought to Kenya, they don't grow that one anymore. It's like it's evolved. There's been lots of different beans and, tr- you know, coffee plants or trees. Do you call them Well, shrubs? we call them trees. trees. We call them coffee trees, but they can be plants, bushes. Be- yeah, but, somewhere but, in the but, middle. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, <laughs> depends on how high they get, but but we call them coffee trees. Okay. When we count yeah. trees on farms, we call them trees. So the tree, yeah, the trees, like you, they've they've been different um, different breeds, I guess, that have been developed. Um, 
to be more resilient or to yield more or to not have to have like the rest years in between because coffee is not necessarily the most lucrative in the Kenyan market as far as I've from what I understood from what Martin was telling me it's a tough it's a tough bean to crack it's tough not to crack um <laughs> so, yeah. but um then what I also saw was um it's like in like you mentioned wine tasting and how similar to it similar it can be sometimes what I saw was in the you know in in, in wine tasting you've got like woody notes and herbaceous undertones but I saw like a poster coffee's the same like you can have potatoey coffee it's like what does potato eat? Which is not a good coffee. Like, for the record, good, that right? is not an attribute that we that we seek in <laughs> Knowing coffee. Knowing me, I'll no. probably enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> you probably should love that one. Um, or there's like cooked beef coffee. I'm not sure if that one's good or bad. Also bad. Okay. I, I know Saxo would love that. My partner would love the cooked beef coffee. You need to create coffee. for us like, yeah, this poster then. So that's, yeah. So, help so I only remember means, the bad one. Well, it's interesting. That, that there's a beautiful poster from the Specialty Coffee Association that has, you know, all of these kind of different, you know, flavors, scents, and we call it a flavor wheel, and there's positive and negative. and negative attributes. And one of the conversations we we're having, actually some of the thought leaders in coffee in the country, not just within Spring Valley, was why are we not creating something with the flavor? Because there's a lot of flavor, it's like gooseberry and like raspberry and th things that we may grow a little bit here, but what about developing a flavor wheel that's African? Why are we, mm. instead of putting potato, why are we not saying arrowroot? Instead of talking about, you know, why are we not saying cassava? Even if it's a yeah. negative connotation, why are we not talking about fruit that we grew or up terere, eating? Or terere, you know, yes. vegetables. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and, and yeah. because what's interesting, what we've learned along the way is some of those things, like when we try and translate that to our team that maybe doesn't have that international exposure, mm. they're like, but what does that mean? And we say, well, that is quite close to terere. That's quite close to this. Then they get it. We're like, that's not an attribute we're looking for, or that's an attribute that we're seeking. And then when you make it local and you kind of make it very regional, people get it. So it was just funny. It was a conversation we were actually having late last week about, yes, this is the specialty mm. coffee global standard. Why don't we just do something similar, but with local flavors, scents, profiles? So it's an interesting conversation that, that we were having. Today. Absolutely. Yeah. Because how can you be expected to recognize tastes that you're not familiar with yeah like right? you can't who has even tasted what are the others like beetroot or something it must be like <laughs> fruits that are not even but like in lots Kenya. of citrus fruits yeah, yeah. That, like, and can taste different from country to country yeah. as well so i mean a lot of these are i think american standards possibly mm. I mean, american, american like, european perhaps combined yeah. but mm. so they don't have most of the tropical tastes and they will have them on the flavor wheel because mm. people you like you'll mm. see a pineapple you'll see pineapple and mango. like mango but mm. you know you will like you don't get too much of like a papaya mm. right you won't get things like again probably not a positive attribute in coffee but you won't get like a matoke mm. uh so <laughs> that would be terrible i would love to no. see that i hate matoke okay. <laughs> that would be terrible <laughs> you in finally my books. found a coffee you, you you wouldn't like <laughs> yeah um so then we also looked at uh coffee auctions and the nairobi coffee exchange Correct. um now i mean i i don't want to do it disjustice Disjustice, do it an injustice by misrepresenting it. But basically, the price of coffee is kind of very controlled. But as you said, it's it's very much uh, loaded towards the end of the process. So farmers, in general, kind of get a raw deal for the raw product. Yeah, is the, that fair it, to say? It, it depends. I would say, on it, as a broad brush statement, that's probably like kind of accurate. But the auction process is once a farmer farms their coffee or they produce it, 
they're typically part of cooperative or if they're large farm, they kind of post-process that, post-harvest process that or we call wet milling there. It then goes to a dry mill to be sorted for size and weight. And then it goes to a marketing agent. And there's a handful of those. And that marketing agent will present that coffee to auction. So now the more sophisticated farmers, you can have a farmer marketer license where you can market your own coffee. But then you have to have certain levels of education, holding power, finance to do that. So the smaller ones can't do that. And then the marketing agent presents that to auction. And then the dealers at the auction are eligible to buy that coffee. And then those are the dealers that most of them, like I'd say 98% of them will export that coffee, green, raw, with relatively, I don't want to say little value added. Value addition is that they're sourcing it, they're sorting it, they're tasting it, they're preparing it for their end customers. So there is value addition happening, but they're not roasting in country. They're not, that's all. And I get it because you want to roast close to your customer. There's a lot of value to that as well. And then there's a handful of people that will do something with that coffee locally. So then the dealers will buy that coffee at auction um, and then they can do what they want with it. But, and that price they pay at auction is public. You can go onto the website and see the price of coffee. So a farmer, and the good thing, the good thing about the Kenyan coffee system is, and going back to, to pre-independence times, is there is full traceability. So before blockchain was a thing, before all these, this, literally on a bag of coffee, we have what's called an outturn number. And that tells us the week in the coffee year that it was that that, that it was harvested, which washing station or which mill it went through, you know, and it's given a code number. So like you know, let's say you absolutely loved that bag of coffee there or, or you hated it and there was an issue with it. We can trace that all the way back to what batch that came from, which estate that came from, if we have that level of information, which we right. typically do on bags and, and most Kenyan coffees will, most Kenyan coffee companies will, because we have traceability. The challenge that Kenya has compared to other places is that there is very little direct trade. So in Ethiopia, a farmer can tell, sell to whoever they want. In Uganda, a farmer can sell to whoever they want, or a cooperative can. In Kenya, it has to go through the marketing agent system unless there's a direct export trade. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is a farmer sitting in central Kenya, sitting in the Nandi Hills, sitting in even now in eastern Kenya, you know, in Manchakos, they, they don't have those relationships. They don't have that knowledge. They don't have that experience. So how are they able to do that? And I think the regulation hasn't changed. And I think there's room for regulation to change. I think they updated the Kenya Coffee Act a couple of years ago. They made some strides in the right direction. I don't think, I personally don't think enough. Um, because there is, so for example, we have direct relationships with our farmers because we are invested in how well they do, but we can't buy directly from them because legally they have to take that coffee to their marketing agent who presents it and we're able to buy through that process. But if I, and, and there's some great cooperatives that we work with, but we can't buy directly from them. We're not allowed to. So there are people in the middle and some of them add different, we could debate kind of levels of value to that. Mm -hmm. um, and they should get paid for that. But for us, it's important to have the relationship directly. So the, even the farmer would benefit more if the direct, I mean, definitely I, or what? I think there's pros and cons because you do have, you know, and you have some great companies in the middle and we're really proud about working with those marketing agents that work with the farmers. They provide them with input. They give them finance so that when they've got, because remember there's a gap between kind of, you know, when you're planting your seed or you're waiting for it to harvest, there's a gap. You need money for school fees. You need money to do other things. So they'll forward them some cash. They will help them with inputs. I mean, you get people that are predatory that then do that at exorbitant interest rates, but you get people that do that in the right way. Um, but again, pros and cons. The, the, it, I think like any industry, you have people that do things the right way and then you have people that do things the other way. Um, so it, it's a bit of a mixed bag.
<laughs> a bag of coffee. <laughs> okay, so Claire, I love anything episodes else? where there's so many opportunities for puns. <laughs> this is my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> so what else like what about the challenge surprised you apart from all this new information um yeah so I think we've already mentioned it but one of the main things is that actually pouring the coffee into a cup or making the foam just right is the final step in a long chain of events that is I would argue even more important than that final step it's certainly longer and takes more investment of time and money and so many people along the chain, even if sometimes you might want to cut some of those people out, you you literally can't. So it is a long process. Um, and that's not to undervalue barista skills at all, but just I got that bigger picture, um, you know, from the soil to the roasting and the cracking. Like when you roast, it has to crack twice, I think. Depends on how dark you're going. So you may have a, what we call a first crack or a second crack, depending on yes. how... How dark you're roasting. So Claire wants going... like five cracks. <laughs> five no, crack I don't like person. it too dark. You know, if it's too dark, then it's got that burnt taste, which mm. I think you often get in the US, right? When it's kind of over roasted and it just kind of tastes a bit of charcoal. Uh, I mean, this might be a controversial statement, but it, part of it's over roasted, but part of it's also there may, and especially in the US, that that punchiness you get in coffee is robusta. Now, yes. Now, I mean, mm. Kenya, thankfully, for the large, for, for the vast majority, grows Arabica, Arabica. Um, and we're an Arabica country, so we're fortunate we have the most incredible coffee in the world. There are now some what we call fine cup robustas popping up around the world. Um, but traditionally robust is known for that punchiness mm. that when you talk about that, what Americans like, it's that it's that hit. It's hard, it's strong, high levels of caffeine, mm. but does it have those nice floral attributes that you as a coffee snob may, may associate with good coffee? Yeah, mm. I didn't know that actually, that the robusta has a higher caffeine content. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, explains that. it. Shouldn't so, that be what people want? Well, yeah, in the US, it's I think it's more popular. Or they mix often, right? Yeah, and so, so most coffee, most coffees on the world, I mean, are a blend. I mean, we yeah. because we're a proudly Kenyan company, all of our coffees are Kenyan, and because Kenya is, for all intents and purposes, an Arabica growing country, we yeah. only use Arabica. So other things that surprised me, um, yeah, the 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 charts and the procedures. Um, that really opened my eyes and my mind to just how much goes into a single cup. And also, I think to take a step back from all that, or rather zone in on, you know, the end result of it and me as a consumer, or you, Ritesh, before you bought Spring Valley Coffee and you were a consumer, is just appreciating that, yes, a cup of coffee is not the cheapest thing you can buy to refresh yourself, right? But there is a reason why you are paying that much, um, I think it's debatable maybe if it's overpriced or not in certain places, but I got a new appreciation for, you know, the, how many, however many shillings I pay for a good cup of coffee, because it's not just, uh, what I'm drinking. It's, there's so many people that have put blood, sweat and tears into that cup. So I really appreciate, um, every gulp of coffee that little bit more. Nice. Thank you for getting personal. Now, I think now you're, you're, you're even more addicted to coffee, right? Like oh, yeah. I mean, times five. Now it's like, it's, it's, there's just new levels. Yeah. New levels of addiction. Interesting. <laughs> it's not addiction. It's appreciation. Appreciation. I don't drink that much coffee because I prevent myself from doing so for health reasons. <laughs> but um, I definitely now, yeah, I savor it more and, you know, just saying, hmm, is this vanilla or grapefruity? Hmm. I wonder if this, was wet, if this was wet fermented or dry 
whatever comes Interesting. Nice. So, um, Ritesh, just hearing her personal experience and, you know, her experimentation. Um, first of all, what do you think about her experience and just... You know, how little, how many weeks? It was just a day or so? Yeah, the the yeah. experience with Martin and Matha mm-hmm. Coffee was uh, on one day. And then yeah. I kind of spread out my personal learning over a week. Exactly. Well, so a lifetime, you could say. What do you think about that week? And should everyone do something like that if they appreciate coffee? And I think you've already told us what, in your opinion, what makes good coffee. So maybe you can tell us what makes your baristas awesome or any good barista awesome like what should they learn what should they pick from her experience what shouldn't shouldn't they <laughs> sure well, i mean you talked about a couple of things one was obviously like different varieties of coffee and i used that they have letters and numbers so like the ones that are most kind of prevalent in kenya are like what, what in the industry we call sl28 or sl34 that's it it sounds it stands for scott <laughs> oh, laboratories 28 and scott is 34 which actually were literally up the road from us. And that's where those laboratories were and that's where those varietals were developed. Um, and that's why I say we're in the heart of kind of where a lot, a lot of this happened. And then you have other varietals like Batian, you mentioned that were developed for resilience. It can be debated what are their attributes from a flavor perspective, but they add resilience. And then my favorite one is what everybody in the world thinks is Ruru 11. And it's not Ruru 11, it's Ruru 2. It's two Roman numerals, it's Ruru 1, 1, but everybody reads it as Ruru 11. And I think that's like the best kept secret. And like, like, <laughs> like, like every, like even award-winning brisk, like I used Ruru 11. I'm like, if you read that big history of coffee <laughs> book on my desk, the one that I read, it's Ruru 2. Um, oh, but, so how, but, how to but, tell but, a true expert. Yeah, but. Yeah, um, that's how to tell. Those, but, that, those but, are the but, secrets. The stuff you've learned is, you know, is absolutely right. I think when you bring it back to now baristas, I think it becomes, I think some people see it as a job, some people see it as a career, and some people see it as a passion. And I think it becomes very evident in terms of, and, and there's nothing wrong with any of those, but it just depends on what one hopes to get out of it. Some people are doing it out of necessity and they develop passion. They develop a career out of it. Some people are like, I'm just super passionate about coffee. We literally, and I always tell the story of one of our baristas, she came, she sat outside the cafe. I was interviewing other people. When I was done, she goes, and she sat there and nursed a couple of coffees herself. And then she said, Sorry, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm like, I didn't know this person was. And I go, sure. And she goes, as you're interviewing people, she goes, I just came out of barista school and I'd love a job. And I go, well, look, we're hiring right now. If you send me a CV, she goes, well, I've been sitting here the whole day. I've heard you talking about this. I would like, I, I, I'll even work for free. I just love coffee that much. <laughs> and I'm like, somebody please hire her. Um, and, and, but, 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 but she had passion. I asked her a couple of questions, a couple of the technical questions that, that, you know, that you talked about. And I think one of the challenges is there's this gap because there's knowledge and knowledge has to be kind of obtained, developed, but then you have to have an opportunity to, to, to develop that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of barista schools, and I'll say that in air quotes, that are teaching skills. And many of those are like, make nice latte art, let's get your job somewhere, and that's great. And there are people that need jobs and there are people that need people to make a cup of coffee. The question is, how important is the quality of that cup of coffee? Um, but I think in terms of skills that that you might require is it depends on if you see this as a and a lot of people do this like during when they're studying right when they're at campus when they're in high school it's like it's a job to get me through and then there might just be a job and that's how many people many of the baristas in the world started right you think about in in the global north and then they develop an appreciation or an experience for it um, but. From, from my perspective, the more passionate and the more engaged they are, the more they're willing to learn. Like, for example, we send all of our baristas out to the farm level because we want them to understand the farm, the bean, the wet processing, the dry milling, 
so that when they're making you a cup of coffee when you're standing in one of our cafes, it's not just theoretically, this is what, like, they're like, no, no, like at the farm, this is how we do it. This is how that farm, because we work with some great, great farms and co-ops, that's how they do it. That's why this coffee is different. And it's not just marketing spiel, they've actually been out there. And for us, it's really important. It's just part of their training, part of their onboarding. And through that process, it becomes very evident who's really passionate and who's just kind of taking the information on board so they can regurgitate it. And what advice would you give to anyone who might want to not necessarily pursue it as a career, but learn a few of the basics? Maybe they enjoy coffee or their husband enjoys coffee and they want to learn some basic skills. What would you say someone could do just to start so, I mean, exploring that? Nairobi has some great, great barista schools. I mean, you could do a one-day course, you could do a three-day course to just like, you know, how do you kind of work your way around a machine? I would say, you know, I wouldn't, coffee machines can be very expensive. They can also be very accessible. And I'd say start with some, start with something that's within your budget from an equipment perspective and just try and experiment and make mistakes. Like I always tell our guys, if you're not making a mistake every day, you're not trying hard enough. Make a mistake, try. And that's how you get better. That's how we get better. And for me, it's, so for people at home, like just try and, and what you're going to like is going to be different to what your partner might like and very different to what you might like. Um, <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and, and just how, how do we experiment and how, and, and I think there are some great barista, there's some short courses. There is so much stuff out there on YouTube, on the internet. Like you can pay for a course or you can literally go onto a YouTube video and, and watch it. Um, and the other thing is like, honestly, go into your favorite cafe, ask your barista when it's not busy. Hey, can I watch you make that? Hey, can I come behind and help you? And actually, you know what? If it's like a great neighborhood cafe and you have a barista who's really passionate, they will teach you. They'll show you when it's when it's not so busy. They'll let you make your own coffee. Even Spring Valley. They can come to Spring Valley and do that. Depends how busy we are. Um, <laughs> but 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 we're in the process of um, opening our new roastery later this year, which will have a full-blown training and education room where nice. people can literally just come in and, you know, we were jokingly like name storming and I called it the playroom. I, I, everyone <laughs> doesn't love the word, but we're like, it's a place where people can just come and experiment and try different things. Um, and you know, that's something coming later in the year, but we're super excited because we want coffee to be accessible. Mm. We want you, if, if you're if you're passionate about coffee, but you can't afford an espresso machine, well, you know, you've got somewhere you can come and make an espresso and just try it. That's nice. great. So Ritesh, according to you, how did Claire do? What could she have done differently or better to make the most of this challenge? Or should we call it an opportunity? On a scale of? One to 10. Zero to 10. Zero to 10. <laughs> I, 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 Thanks for adding the zero. Sorry. <laughs> Emphasizing that there's the option of a zero. No, I, I mean, Claire clearly like has a lot of passion and a lot of interest. Um, I give you a six. And the reason I'd give you a six is I would have started at the farm. Because if you'd started at the farm, really understanding kind of where they're picking it, where the harvest, why it's called a coffee cherry, because it's red and looks like a cherry, and how that goes to the wet mill process. And then we'll give you another point. So a point for that, a point for then going to the dry mill process where the coffee gets sorted. Um, and then obviously you've been at a roastery, you've seen how they've roasted coffee. Um, and so yeah, you're, you're almost there. But I would I'd perhaps dock a couple of points for that. Um, but I would probably say a six. I'll accept that. Yeah, as part of this challenge, I didn't go that far. I do regularly run through coffee plantations. 
now you can just yeah. steal a bean, eat it, <laughs> do whatever no, you can. I, I visit, there's a couple of where I used to buy coffee uh, when I first moved to Kenya, a couple of coffee farms, and I went to see the process there a long time ago. But that was more, you know, like a tourist, more than a as an apprentice, yeah. let's say, more than for the learning experience. Well, if you ever so want I'll to come definitely out, take that. Well, if you ever want to come out on one of our learning days, like I said, when we onboard new people, it's part of our process. Karibu. We should totally do it. Come and come and join us. Come come out and visit one at one one of the farms that we work with, yeah. and you know, and also when it's in season and in harvest. But that's a great way to see that. Yeah, um, and you get to experience that, and then we can take you out to a to a dry mill where they separate the coffee. So you kind of get that those two little gaps, mm. um, and then I think you're almost there. Then you'll give a nine point five. <laughs> Okay. Then I'll ask for a job. I'll reconsider <laughs> my career. <laughs> if I can make money. I mean, when you want to sell Spring Valley coffee, come to me. You're the next I'll save line. up. I'll save up all my money till I'm 120. <laughs> yeah, you, he shouldn't care about his kids. No, you're next. You know, right? yeah, 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 of course. No, I'll give the money. <laughs> um, so I also wonder if Martin had anything to say about how I did from the time I spent with him and his colleagues at Maasai Coffee and possibly some words of wisdom. So today I got a visit from the amazing Claire of Yes Gas Podcast, uh, who stopped by for some coffee training. I was really impressed by the way she was able to identify uh, the distinct uh, differences in terms of flavor notes between the two coffees. That is the natural and wash processed coffees. She's a natural. Yeah, it was really an amazing experience training with her, yeah. So generally, I can say she's a very good student. <laughs> she's a natural. Yeah, I want to repeat that. She's a natural. And yeah, um, I think uh, she's on the verge of becoming a coffee professional by herself. Now, yes, people, there are many ways you can say yes, along with us, whether it's coffee, whether it's anything else. First, you can follow us um, and our experts on socials. We are at Yes Girls Podcast on all platforms. You can find Martin at Martin the Barista. Very easy. Martin the Barista all together at, on Instagram. And if you want to learn more about Maasai Coffee, you can find them at goldrock underscore Kenya. That's goldrock underscore Kenya. And definitely arrange a tour to their roaster in Nairobi. Then we have Spring Valley Coffee. They are at Spring Valley Coffee, simply that. And you can find their coffee in all major supermarkets and coffee shops all across Nairobi. Yeah, every Nairobi neighborhood basically has a, a Spring Valley coffee shop now. And Ritesh, what's your Instagram? I don't have a personal Instagram, but 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 if you want, you can follow my dogs. My dogs have their own Instagram. Account. Really? What's what are they? It's Bailey double underscore and double underscore biscuit. But we do have so we have like an off menu. I have two off menu items. One's called a puppy chino. So it's like a little. So if you bring your so all of our cafes that are that are that are in buildings that are dog friendly, which is most of them, um, you can literally bring your dog and we'll give them a little bit of just full milk. There's nothing else in there, and it's a puppy chino. And then the same thing becomes a baby chino with a little bit of chocolate powder on top. Um, we try not to mix the two up. And if your kids, <laughs> if your kids are really bad, we might put a shot of espresso in there. So then it's your problem later on. Wow, exclusive, guys! You heard it here first. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> 
You can also go back and listen to all four previous seasons of the Yes Girls podcast if you haven't yet, or you can re-listen. We have dozens of episodes and yes to calls saying yes to everything from being vegan to learning crypto to doing pole dancing and plenty of behind the scenes and special guests. So every episode offers something a little different. Please also check out the video diaries and behind the scenes footage from the challenges and from this episode on our YouTube channel. Um, that's at Yes Girls Podcast, our YouTube channel. And as you listen and watch, please do take time to rate and review us. Not rate how we do in the challenges. Please don't. Um, <laughs> like Martin and Ritesh just did. Just read the podcast or this episode or whatever you like about it. Um, it will help other yes people discover us and they'll get into it just as much as you do. Do that on Spotify. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that allows you to leave a review or rate it. Our cup of coffee runneth over to all the people who helped make this episode possible, starting with Sampisha Productions and Snowball Studios for, as always, producing this episode so wonderfully. And we'd, we'd froth some full fat milk for Pedro Brian, who composed our theme song and cags of eternal concepts for our kickers logo. And of course, we're getting all frothed up for our experts in this episode, Martin of Masai Coffee and Ritesh of Spring Valley Coffee and their teams who are so welcoming and cooperative and helped make this episode happen. And it's coffee on us, not literally though, but maybe if it's one of you, yes. Um, on, on, like poured on us or like we're paying for it? Whatever you like, <laughs> whatever's your, you know, your cup thing. Cup of coffee. Whatever is your cup of coffee, yes. Whatever is your cup of tea <laughs> no tea in coffee you said the dirty word we said we would not use that word this <gasps> we did not do you say that Oops. <laughs> okay so we coffee on us to all of you the yes gang yes gang is our new name yes gang you listeners followers fellow yay sayers i will love you and coffee on us and if you're in getting inspired to say yes um yeah thank you yeah, and Ritesh, one last question for you, which we're asking all of our guest experts this season. What's something you've recently said yes to? Something I've recently said yes to is I'm I'm running the London Marathon in seven weeks. So I've, so I've never run a full marathon, and I, I I'm going to give away my age here, but I'm I, I I turned 42 this year. I'm like I'm going to run 42 at 42. So if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So that's something I said yes to. Nice. She can coach you. <laughs> she, awesome. she, how you were number what this weekend? I came top ten in the Kilimanjaro, the Kilimanjaro marathon. marathon, not the Mar London marathon. London marathon, I can't even get in. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. that is a true yes person, and you're more of a yes person than my co-host Ekumu. When it comes to running, to yes to I running. have said no to running. Clearly. She draws. Okay, I've said yes to saying no to running. <laughs> <laughs> I said yes to something though. So we wish you all the best of luck there. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Now, this cup of coffee has gone a bit cold. I think it's time to hit the bar in Barista. <laughs> so we are signing off off of the second episode of season five. And we'll see you in two weeks where we'll be saying yes. Well, to, one of us will. Yeah, actually, one of us will be saying yes to doing or being something which will, as always, push us out of our comfort zone and have us learning a thing or two about something we probably all want to be better at. Keep saying yes, yes, people. We sure will because we are the Yes, yes girls. girls. Woo! Yeah. Woo -hoo -hoo. All right, coffee time. Woo -hoo.